Shalom, Malekum, peace be upon you, and welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Well, we are looking at this week's Torah portion, Mishpatim. Now, you know, something I was just thinking about here as I was waiting for everything to kind of fire up to start recording is there's not many people, or I guess other Bible teachers and theologians and scholars and people similar to myself who've studied scripture for years, taught it for years, have done things in academia, they would look at me and think that it's pretty strange that I do the Torah portion, um, which is because that's a Jewish thing, a a thing in Judaism. Or uh, I've also ran into people who find it bizarre and strange and off-putting that I've I teach from the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, the the Book of Enoch, uh, the Apocrypha, <laughs> you know, all these things. And you know, I don't know why it should be strange, but it is. And the reason why is because it's it's kind of not consistent with what the church has done, um, especially in the last several hundred years. And you know, I just think that we're we're living in a time where we just have more access than ever before. Um, access to the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, all these things we have. We have the means to look at them and to study them. And it's just that, you know, we all have a role to play. And God has not appointed every minister, every teacher, every theologian, you know, every scholar. He has not appointed us all to do the same thing. That would be kind of a boring situation, wouldn't it? It's like no matter what teacher you go to, uh, you know, it's... (laughs) You, God, I think, has created a variety of people on purpose to reach certain people. And the other thing is, is we're all grafted into the nation of Israel. That's what the scriptures teach, um, that we were grafted in. Israel is the root. And where does the root begin? It begins at the beginning. It begins in the Torah. And the Torah portion schedule is just a beautiful way to work through those books that most followers of Christ have no clue about, have no understanding about. They don't understand the laws and why they were there to begin with and how they point to Messiah. They don't understand the feast, why they were there to begin with and and how they point to Messiah. It's like if you really want to know Jesus more, you need to understand all these scriptures that talk about him and point to him and foreshadow and all of those things. And so that's why we do this. It's important. And I do focus on Hebrew words. And it may be annoying to listen to me read from the Hallelujah scriptures because it's like, why is he saying Mitzrayim instead of Egypt? And blah. Well, this is what the text was originally written in, and it's a useful tool to have. And so that's why I do it. All right, now that I've wasted five minutes, let's dig in. We're looking at Porsche, Parsha, Mitzpatim. 
mishpatim, which means judgment. Judgments, actually. The title comes from the first word of the first verse of the reading, which could literally be translated to say, And there, and these are the judgments which you will place before them. Exodus 21.1 First three chapters of this Torah portion deliver a legal code of laws and commandments that form a nucleus for the Torah's laws. The last chapter tells the story of how the people of Israel consented to keep the laws and entered into a covenant relationship with God through a series of rituals conducted by Moses. You see, we serve a God who's covenantal. Covenantal. It's an important word. Something that we should embrace in our hearts. He makes covenants. And if you're wondering where I am on a theological basis, I lean way further close to covenantal theology than I do dispensational theology. But that's a whole other subject. I'm doing a lot of random thoughts this morning. Let's just get to the goal here, which is to read the Torah portion. Starting with Exodus chapter 21, verse 1. Uh, and just so you know, this morning I did not pre-read like I typically do. So I apologize if I stutter a word here and there or miss a thought or something like that. But I just pray that the word would go forth and pierce hearts and cause you to go grow closer to God as a result. Let's read this story. Mishpatim judgments and these are the right rulings which you are to put before them when you buy an every servant that is a Hebrew servant he serves six years and in the seventh he goes out free for naught. please note this is not talking about slavery in the way that westerners think of slavery and men, most of the time the person called a slave in the Bible would willfully submit themselves to a master for financial reasons. Like they can't take care of their family. So they submit themselves to a master for a period of time. And it wouldn't be uncommon for that person to decide they want to stay with their master forever because they have a good master who takes care of them and provides for them and is kind to them and treats them like part of the family. But they may have one who's terrible and then at the end of that period of time, they can move on if they wish. Uh, so I just want to put that distinction out there because when we think of slavery, we think of, of you know the history of American slavery. And uh, that's not really the same scenario. Or even the Egyptian slavery. It's not the same. So, let's continue. When you buy an Ivory servant, a Hebrew servant, he serves six years, and in the seventh year he goes out free for naught. If he comes in by himself, he goes out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons and daughters, the wife and her children are her masters, and he goes out by himself. And as the servant says, I love my master, my wife, and my children. Let me not go out free. Then his master shall bring him before Elohim, and shall bring him to the door, or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. You know, if you think about it, we have submitted ourselves to Messiah, right? Like, you be my master, and I will be obedient to you. I love my master. He's kind. He's merciful. He provides. Let me continue on. I apologize for all the thoughts this morning. 
Then his master shall bring him before Elohim and bring him to the door and to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Verse 7. And when a man sells his daughter to be a female servant, she does not go out as the male servants do. If she is displeasing in the eyes of her master who has engaged her to himself, then he shall let her be ransomed. He shall have no authority to sell her to a foreign people because of him deceiving her. And if he is engaged to her son, his son, he is to do to her as his right of daughters. If he takes another, her food, her covering, her marriage rights are not to be diminished. And if he does not do these three for her, then he shall go out for naught without silver. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall certainly be put to death. Please note, again, apologize for all the interruptions. One thing that I just, that just jumps out to me when we're looking at the laws, these judgments. Notice none of these are like, go put a person in prison for 50 years. You know, I just, I'm not going to go on a complete tangent. I'll just say that I absolutely despise and loathe the prison system. That's not God's design. God's design is... Certain crimes receive the death penalty, and certain crimes where you offend or you, um, not offend, uh, but where you, you might cause a financial loss to somebody, whether it's through theft or mistakes or something like that, you, the penalty is that you would have to just restore that however long it takes. You'd be that person's servant, uh, but not locked in a cage. But if so, he who strikes a man so that he dies, so you kill a person, shall certainly be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait, but Elohim delivered him into his hand, then I shall appoint for you a place where he shall flee. But when a man acts presumptuously against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you are to take him even from my altar to die. And he who smites his father or his mother shall certainly be put to death. God takes it very seriously how children honor or dishonor their parents. It's one of the few commands that come with a promise of long life. Like, honor your parents, live a long life. Dishonor your parents, slap your dad, hit your dad, hit your mom, death penalty. And he who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hands, shall certainly be put to death. And he, he who curses his father or his mother shall certainly be put to death. And when men strive together, and one smites the other with a stone or with his fist, and he does not die, but is confined to his bed, if he rises again and walks about outside with his staff, then he who smote him shall be innocent. He only pays for the lost time, and sees to it that he is completely healed." When a man smites his male or female servant with a rod, so that he dies under his hand, he shall certainly be avenged. But if he remains alive a day or two, he is not avenged, for he is property. And when men strive, and they shall smite a pregnant woman, and her child come out, yet there is no injury, he shall certainly be punished according as the woman's husband lays upon him, and shall pay by the judges." You see, you are accountable to the people in your community. You are accountable to your brother and sister. You are accountable to your parents. You are accountable to your employer, your master. This, this world of disrespect and unkindness and meanness 
people would have been a lot more polite in this situation, I guess is what I'm saying. But if there is injury, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, lash for lash. And when a man smites the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he is to let him go free for the sake of his eye. And if he knocks out the tooth, his male or female servant, he is to let him go free for the sake of his tooth. And when an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall certainly be stoned, and its flesh is not eaten, and the owner of the ox is innocent. See, even an animal, if an animal attacks a person, it's to be put down. You see, when you're doing these things in your society, you really limit some dangers because it's no longer acceptable that you have a dog running around that's known to bite and harm people. It's no long- You can't have an ox that gores somebody. It's going to get put down. You can see how this would translate to a, to a lot of peace within your society. You're not letting these things get out of hand. However, if the ox was previously in the habit of goring and its owner has been warned and he has not kept it confined so that it has killed a man or a woman, the ox is stoned and its owner is also put to death. Look at that. The reason why I use dog is because that's the most common thing in the United States, probably as far as animals concerned that harm people. And it's, it's definitely something I've witnessed and have to, you know, I'm a runner. And more and more I'm having to deal with people who have dogs they can't restrain. Or they don't even have them on a leash. And so, you know, this situation is we're using an ox that gores somebody. Well, if you have an ox, it's known to the community that it has a habit of goring people. You do nothing about it. One day somebody dies. Not only is your ox put to death, but so are you. Because you knew, and you did nothing about it. Verse 30, If a sin covering is laid upon him, then he shall give the ransom for his life, whatever is laid on him. Whether it has gored a son or gored a daughter, according to its right ruling, it is done to him. If the ox gores a male or female servant, he is to give to their master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox is stoned. And when a man opens a pit, or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls in it, the owner of the pit is to repay. He is to give silver to their owner, and the dead is his. And when the ox of a man smites the ox of the neighbor, and it dies, then he shall sell the live ox and divide the silver from it, and also divide the dead ox. Or if it was known that the ox was previously in the habit of goring, and its owner has not kept it confined, he shall certainly repay the ox for ox, while the dead is his. Chapter 22. And just please note, you can see why it's important that I pre-read and kind of get my thoughts together beforehand because what happens is just random thoughts as we read. Verse 1. When a man steals an ox or a sheep and shall slaughter it or sell it, he repays five cattle for an ox and four sheep for sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and he is smitten so that he dies, there is no guilt for his bloodshed. Did you see that? You break into somebody's house and you end up dead as a result? That's on your own head. That's what the scriptures teach. If a thief is found breaking in and is smitten so that he dies, there is no guilt for his bloodshed. 
If the sun has risen on him and there is guilt for the bloodshed, he shall certainly repay. If he has not the means, then he shall be sold for his theft. You see, you become the person's slave if you cause financial loss until you've repaid the debt. You don't, you don't get locked in a cage and then all of us have to pay to keep you in the cage. It's so, it's so bizarre what we do. Continuing on. If the theft is indeed found alive in his hand, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he repays double. When a man lets a field or vineyard be consumed and lets loose his livestock, and it feeds in another man's field, and he repays from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. When fire breaks out and spreads to the thorn bushes so that stacked grain or standing grain or in the field is consumed, he who kindled the fire shall certainly repay. When a man gives silver or goods to his neighbor to guard, and it is stolen out of a man's house, if the thief is found, he repays double. If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought before Elohim to see whether he has put his hands into his neighbor's good. For every matter of transgression for ox or for donkey, sheep, garment, or for whatever is lost, which another claims to be his, let the matter of them both come before Elohim, and whomever Elohim declares wrong repays double to his neighbor. When a man gives his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to watch over and it dies or it is injured or is driven away while no one is looking, let an oath of Jehovah be between them both, that he has not put his hands into his neighbor's goods, and his owner, sh- owner of it shall accept that, and he does not repay. But if he is indeed stolen from him, he repays his owner. If it is torn to pieces, then let him bring it for evidence. He does not repay what was torn. And when a man borrows from his neighbor, and it is injured or dies while his owner of it is not present, he shall certainly repay. But if its owner was with it, he does not repay. If it was hired, he is entitled to the hire. And when a man entices a maiden who is not engaged and lies with her, he shall certainly pay the bride price for her to be his wife. If his father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he pays according to the bride price of maidens. Do not allow a practitioner of witchcraft to live. Mm. (laughs) If you think for one minute that witchcraft is not a real thing, you are deeply mistaken. Why do you think that God required the death penalty for such people? in the time of the law of Moses. Because you couldn't let that stuff get out of hand. I think modern society is an example of why that, was, why that could be a problem. Do not allow practitioners of witchcraft to live. Anyone lying with a beast shall certainly be put to death. You can't have these things going on in your society. Otherwise, they go unchecked, they be, the perversity spreads, and you end up with unchecked, wild, out-of-control perversity. Hint, take a look at your current culture. Same thing with witchcraft and all these other things. That's why these laws existed at this time. He who slaughters a mighty one, except to Jehovah only, is put under ban. So you were caught in idolatry, you were basically excommunicated. Verse 21, Do not tread down a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Mitzrayim. Do not afflict any widow or fatherless child. 
If you do afflict them at all, if they cry out to me at all, I shall certainly hear their cry. And my wrath shall burn, and I shall slay you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. If you do lend silver to any of my people, the poor among you, you are not to be like one of the lend's interest on him. Do not lay interest on him. If you take your neighbor's garment as a pledge at all, you are to return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. It is a garment for his skin. What does he sleep in? And it should be that when he cries to me, I shall hear, for I show favor. Do not revile Elohim, nor curse a ruler of your people. Do not withhold your produce and your juice. Give me the firstborns of your sons. Likewise, you are to do this with your oxen and with your sheep. It is to be with its mother seven days, and on the eighth day you give it to me. And you are Kodesh men, that is to say, hallowed or holy men, to me. And you do not eat any meat which is torn to pieces in the field. You throw it to the dogs. Chapter 23. Do not bring a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be a malice witness, malicious witness. Do not follow a crowd to do evil, nor bear witness in a strife, so as to turn aside after many to pervert. Do not favor a poor man in his strife. When you meet your enemy's ox or your donkeys going astray, you shall certainly return it to him. There's a picture of love your enemies, right? Verse 5. When you see the donkey of him who hates you lying under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall certainly help him. Do not turn aside the right ruling of your poor in a strife. Keep yourself far from a false matter and do not kill the innocent and the righteous, for I do not declare the wicked right. Do not take a bride for a bride's blind, the seeing one, and twist the words of the righteous. I'm sorry, I, I misspoke. Let me read that again. Do not take a bribe for a bribe's blind, the seeing one, and twist the words of the righteous. Do not oppress a sojourner, as you yourselves know the life of a sojourner, because you were sojourners in the land of Mitzrayim, that is to say, Egypt. Be kind to the people passing through your country. In six years you are to sow your land and shall gather its increase, but in the seventh year you are to let it rest, and, it shall le and you shall leave it. And the poor of your people shall eat. When they leave, the beasts of the field eat. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive yard. Six days you are to do your work, and on the seventh day you rest, in order that your ox and your donkey might rest, and the son of your female servant and sojourner may be refreshed. You see, part of the reason for the Sabbath was so you couldn't work your people to death. They needed a day off. They needed a day of rest to be replenished, even your animals, and of course yourself. And in all that I have said to you, take heed. Make no mention of the name of the other mighty ones. Let it not be heard from your mouth. Three times in the year you are to celebrate the festival to me. Guard the festivals of Matzot. Seven days you eat unleavened bread. As I commanded you, and in the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in it came out, for in it you came out of Mitzrayim, and you did not appear before me empty-handed. 
and the festival of the harvest and the first fruits of your labors which you have sown in the field and the festival of ingathering at the outgoing of the year and when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field three times in the year all your males are to appear before the Adon Yehovah. Do not offer the blood of my slaughtering with leavened bread and the fat of my festival shall not remain until morning. Bring the first and the first fruits of your land into the house of Jehovah your Elohim. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. I think, you know, people try to make a diet thing out of this. It's a, God cares how you treat animals. Yes, we, we kill them and eat them and all those things, but there is a humane and proper way to care and handle things. Do not be so sick and cruel as to boil a goat in its mother's milk. I believe that's what God is saying there. Verse 20, See, I am sending a messenger before you to guard you in the way and to bring you into a place which I have prepared. Be on guard before him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he is not going to pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you diligently obey his voice and shall do all that I speak, then I shall be an enemy to your enemies and a disaster to those who distress you, a distresser to those who distress you. Listen, I, I know that this is going to be controversial to say, but I believe these things to be true even now. I believe that obedience and submission to God reaps the promises that he's made about protection about provision and even Jesus said look focus on the kingdom do the work of the kingdom and all these other things that I just told you not to worry about like food and clothing and all of that those things will be taken care of because you're walking in obedience but I digress verse 23 for my messenger shall go before you and shall bring you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Pezzarites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Yebusites, and I shall cut them off. Do not bow down to their mighty ones, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but without fail overthrow them and without fail break down their pillars. And you shall serve Jehovah your Elohim, and he shall bless your bread and your water, and I shall remove sickness from your midst. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I shall fill the number of your days. I shall send my fear before you and cause confusion among the people to whom you come and make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I shall send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hittites and the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. I shall not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become a waste and the beasts in the field become too numerous for you. That's interesting, right? He's saying, I'm going to drive out all these people, but we're going to have to do it in stages and it's going to take a little while. Because if I just wipe them all out, guess what? There's going to be a bunch of animals that overrun the land and you won't be able to contain it. Interesting. Little by little, I shall drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. Oh, this is, this is so important because we always want what we want now. And we don't understand why God's delaying. Why is it taking so long for God to come through on this issue? I've been praying about this and working toward this for 10 years, right? Well, don't you think God has a reason? 
that maybe there's things that have to be put in place before you're prepared for that thing that he wants to do in your life? Oh, that he would give us a heart of patience. Verse 31, And I shall appoint your border from the sea of reeds to the sea of the Pelishites, and from the wilderness to the river, for I shall give the inhabitants of the land into your land, into your hand, and you shall drive them out from before you. Do not make a covenant with them or their mighty ones. Let them not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me when you serve their mighty ones, when it becomes a snare to you. Chapter 24, we got 18 more verses. And to Moshe he said, Come up to Jehovah, you, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the other elders of Yisrael, and you shall bow down yourselves from a distance. But Moshe drew near to Jehovah by himself, and let them not draw near, nor let the people go up with him. And Moshe came and related to the people all the words of Jehovah and all the right rulings. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which Jehovah has spoken, we shall do. This is a beautiful picture, right? And I've actually got like chills and goosebumps because there's this thought in me. We all want to do that, don't we? Like the Israelites are like, yes, we want to do this. Everything that you've said we're going to do. We're going to walk in obedience. We want this blessing upon our lives. But we know what happens. Very quickly, they fall off horribly. I see this in my own life. And I'm sure we all deal with it on some basis. We just want to walk in the completeness of obedience to God. We want His blessings to be upon us. We want to serve Him with our whole hearts. But then the flesh just gets in the way. Sin just gets in the way. Then we have to get on our faces and repent and beg for mercy and try again tomorrow. And it's just hard, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I have the same heart as what the Israelites have in this moment. I start my day like that every day. And I wish that I could get to the end of those days and say, man, I did it all perfectly. (laughs) Don't you? So I understand their heart. And I don't want to be too quick to judge that they quickly quickly abandon this thought and start making mistakes oh, I long for the day when there's no more sin when there's, there's not an inkling of temptation for you to fail that you just you just walk perfectly because that's now who you are and Moshe came and related to the people all the words of Jehovah and the right rulings and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which Jehovah has spoken we shall do. And Moshe wrote down all the words of Jehovah and rose up early in the morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve standing columns for the twelve tribes of Israel. 
He sent young men and the children of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and slaughtered peace slaughterings of bulls to Jehovah. Moshe took half the blood, and he put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar, and he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that Jehovah has spoken we shall do and obey. And Moshe took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, See the blood of the covenant which Jehovah has made with you concerning all these words. Moshe went up also with Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the seventy elders of Israel, and they saw Elohim of the Israel under his feet like a paved work of sapphire stone and like the Shemayim for brightness. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the chiefs of the children of Israel. And they saw Elohim, and they ate and they drank, and Jehovah said to Moshe, Come up to me on the mountain and be there. While I give you the tablets of stone and the Torah and the command which I have written to teach them. And Moshe arose and with his assistant Yahushua. And Moshe went up to the mountain of Elohim. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. And see, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has matters, let him go to them. And Moshe went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. And the esteem of Jehovah dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day he called the Moshe out of the midst of the cloud. And the appearance of the esteem of Jehovah was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain before the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moshe went into the midst of the cloud, and he went up into the mountain. And it came to be that Moshe was on the mountain forty days. And forty nights. And that is the end of our study for this morning. I pray that you have been blessed and that your hearts have been pierced. Please consider praying for the podcast. Please consider supporting the podcast, which you can do by going to scriptureandprophecy.com and clicking on the support and donate tab at the top. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.